From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, it's Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. You know, any other week we'd have a bunch of big news to talk about from the state Supreme Court, from a federal court in Pocatello, and we will get to that. We will get to the court TV segment because uh, big news there. But we have to start with uh, with the big news of the week, a spike in coronavirus cases here in Boise and across Idaho and the reaction and, and kind of the implications of uh, what we're learning about the coronavirus spike and how that might affect uh, school reopening in the fall. Yeah, definitely. I think that was the top story uh, this week. And there's several, obviously, with the coronavirus, it affects several different aspects of our life and our coverage. Uh, But let's start right there. Kevin, you attended Governor Little's press conference on Thursday, got a little bit of news about how the state is going to handle the response uh, moving forward. And you wrote about what to watch for in the future and how we might have very much a patchwork of plans, depending on what county you live in and and particularly what school district you you live in when we're looking about a return in the fall. What did you get into and, and kind of break down the latest? Well, it's been such an eventful week leading up to the governor's press conference on Thursday. First of all, the raw numbers and you know, check back uh, late Friday afternoon. By the time this podcast is posted, we should have the week's numbers. But we know that this week's coronavirus numbers are, are going to be uh, they're going to set a one week record. Uh, this is going to be the, the most new cases uh, we've seen in the state since the beginning of the outbreak. Uh, and we have seen very uh, you know, dramatic increases yeah. in uh, coronavirus case numbers in Ada County, and that uh, prompted Central District Health, that's the governing body uh, for public health in Ada County and three surrounding counties, to institute new restrictions just in Ada County. Uh, this happened on Monday. Uh, bars are closed. Uh, public gatherings are, are, are no longer allowed. Gatherings of, of 50 or more people no longer allowed. And Ada County is going to be under those tighter restrictions for at least two weeks. Uh, Local health officials want to see a a sustained and uh, a significant drop in new cases in Ada County. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, We're only a few days into the order, and new cases in Ada County are continuing along at about 100 new cases a day. Um, So we had that happen in Ada County. And I want to emphasize that while there's been no question, there's been a significant increase in cases in Ada County. It hasn't occurred in a vacuum. Right across the border from us in Canyon County, a similar increase in cases. When you look at the raw percentages, the increases in Canyon County are you know, more or less in the same sobering ballpark right. as the, the new cases in Ada County. But Canyon County is in a different health district, and it's operating under a different set of rules. There are no restrictions on bars in Canyon County. There are no restrictions on uh, large gatherings in Canyon County. So even as we speak, the Idaho Republican Party is holding its uh, its state convention in Canyon County. Yeah, it would not be, based on the rules in place today, uh, you know, Friday, June 26th, it would not be allowed to take place if they had scheduled it in Boise. Uh, But because it is in Canyon County, because of this, uh, the differences in the way the different health districts are reacting to this. It is allowed to go forward in Canyon County, but you talked about how that's really a preview of what we're going to be seeing 
that deliberately on purpose, the response will be different from county to county, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and school district to school district. Um, And and that's going to affect people in the fall, right? Right. So it all leads up to where we were on Thursday. So Governor Little uh, held a press conference and his announcement, the the news from Thursday's news conference, I guess, is that Idaho will remain in stage four of its reopening plan. Now, with the exception of Ada County, which which back in stage three restrictions and went back to stage three. So the rest of the state, as we record this on Friday morning, are the rest of the state is operating under stage four. Uh, The state could have you know, moved out of stage four and uh, relaxed some restrictions for large gatherings and restaurants. And, uh, you know, but that didn't happen. So Idaho is still under stage four. But what I found was more interesting, maybe, was uh, the governor's comments on this whole question of consistency, this whole question of, you know, making sure that there is sort of, you know, some kind of uniformity and some kind of, uh, you know, cohesive response to coronavirus case numbers. And, and I, I attended the news conference. It was actually the, the first time I've been in the state house uh, since the end of the legislative session. Um, I wanted to go because I wanted to ask a couple of questions uh, uh, in, in person. And what I wanted to ask the governor about were these case numbers that we were just talking about. Um, increases, not just in Ada County, but similar increases in Canyon County, similar increases in, in Kootenai County, uh, you know, clear across the state in the panhandle, you know, three counties, three different health districts, and, you know, different responses between those those health districts. And I really just wanted to ask the governor if he's concerned about uh, whether there's going to be inconsistency. And he said, well, you know, there is a risk of that. But he said there is a hierarchy here that decisions can be made by mayors, that can be made by health districts, or the state can step in and make decisions. And you know, he kind of sees the role of the state of trying to make sure that there's uh, some some vigorous discussion about how we achieve some level of, uh, of consistency in response to the to the virus. Uh, he was asked again about it and, and said, you know. If push comes to shove, the state could step in. If if a health district just went rogue and did something that was completely counter to to logic and, and public health uh, literature, uh, the state could step in. But he really does not want it to come to that point. So, yeah. I thought you had. I mean, was, uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say. I thought you had a really nice way of phrasing it. There was one sentence in that article yesterday that jumped out at me. Depending on how you look at things. This is either a nod to exercising local control or it's so much passing the buck. That sentence just kind of stuck out to me, depending on how you look at things, um, could go either way, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if it seems confusing to you right now what's happening with seven health districts uh, making decisions and setting the policy, let's think about the fall. Because come fall, you're going to have 115 school districts and about 70 charter schools across the state figuring out figuring out what to do about school opening, closing schools, you know, rolling closures, revamping uh, or tweaking schedules, all, all in response to the coronavirus and what's happening with the coronavirus in different communities. Look, like I, I get it. I, I get that there are some counties that have been really hard hit by the coronavirus and some that have, you know. Been you know, been spared uh, in terms of uh, having 
uh, high numbers or having community spread. But as we do, yeah, we do learn more. Yeah, we do learn more every day. Uh, first confirmed positive case in Boise County was reported Thursday, June 25th. And then uh, I believe, was it Valley County that the health district announced they now have community transmission. And so we do learn more as this goes along, which is not surprising. That's the trend. And things can happen really quickly. So I, the piece that I did on Thursday, and it's and it's posted at idolatnews.org, just kind of you know, looks at what happened here this week with the health districts and what happened with with Ada County and you know the, the local control aspect of what we saw. We're going to see even more of that, and we're going to see it's inevitably going to be a patchwork. If you have 115 districts and 70 charter schools. Uh, deciding what to do and looking at the data and inevitably looking at that data a little bit differently, you're going to have, you know, it's going to be a hodgepodge. And I think it's going to be a big job for us here at Idaho Ed News to kind of keep you apprised of what's happening in your community and what, you know, what the policy is and what the, what changes are taking place in your community. Because if everything that we're hearing from the health officials comes to fruition and there is a second wave in the fall, in conjunction with with flu outbreaks, you know, we we see schools close for flu. You know, we see that happen every year, and this isn't the flu. Again, this is not the flu. This yeah. is coronavirus. This is much more of a serious, serious virus. Uh, much more, you know, much more contagious. Much uh, easier to spread. You know, I think you're going to have districts and, and charters really all over the place in terms of how they respond to. You know, the outbreaks, how they respond to changes in in the community, in in, in, you know, in the numbers locally. Yeah, and as you pointed out in the article, that's by design. But I can't help but think of the Boise School District. A couple of weeks ago, at this point, they moved forward with their local reopening plan. That's in place. That's been approved. I think they're looking at you know approximately August seventeenth, uh, opening the doors to each of their public schools. They announced that roughly two weeks ago, but then with the news Monday that we're in back to stage three in Ada County, and, and we don't know how long that will last, but I don't think you could have school in the Boise School District right now based on us being in stage three, and I don't see how you could have Boise State football games uh, for another matter. And so it's going to change, and it's going to continue to change, but if you're a parent and you're frustrated right now and you want to know what to expect, our best advice would be to look for your local building principal, your local school board, or your local charter administrator. They will make the plans for your local school in the fall, and those may be subject to change. I am tracking these new state gubernatorial committees that are looking at reopening. They're working quickly. They may have started a little bit late, but they're working quickly at this point and hope to have guidance out coming together next week on June 30th and then distributed to schools after July 4th. Um, but people are running into all kinds of questions with the reopening. How do you handle school buses? If you want to get all the kids picked up on time and taken to school on time using the same number of buses and drivers and honoring social or physical distancing requirements of six feet, I don't know that you can do it. Um, and I'm not a transportation director. I'm just overhearing some of these conversations. And, and it's 
and it's a riddle for school administrators. And, and that's not the only um, question right now. The liability no. issues are weighing heavy. Uh, and that's something that perhaps the gubernatorial committees could address. Uh, Governor Little this week opened the door to a potential special session of the Idaho legislature. It sounds like there still needs to be some work to get the legislature and the governor on the same page to agree, to agree about the specifics. But one potential reason out of three for a special legislative session would be to look at the liability issues for COVID-19 because insurance carriers have told schools that if someone contracts COVID-19 on campus, gets sick, and then school and then sues, the insurance carriers are not likely to cover costs. And so as we get closer to August, that's a major hurdle. Um, but it, the local districts are, are moving ahead. Some have plans together. Others are formulating theirs now. I think a lot will come to school boards at the local level in July. And so there's a lot to watch, but it, it's going to be different. And even if we come out with a plan in, in mid-July that has buy-in from the community, as we learned this week, um, the context could change in a matter of hours. And yeah, I guess that's where we stand. It, it really can, just just as the, the case numbers can change so quickly, as we've seen just in the past few days. I mean, this is, you know, it's a cliche to call it a fluid situation, but it is, yeah. it is such a fluid situation that... Uh, I know we'll be tracking in the, the weeks leading up to the start of the school year and then into the school year, just trying to uh, to stay on top of, of what's happening locally, what changes are, are occurring locally, and what the response, what kind of responses we're seeing. Yeah, and reach out if you have questions or if you see things in your district that you want to ask about or that don't make sense. I, I mean, we really need to work closely uh, with parents and school leaders and school board members because uh, communication is a big part of the role that we're going to play. And so if, if something's going on in, in your district or if there's news or if there's something you want to share, um, you can reach out. Our contact information is on the homepage at www.idahoednews.org. I know Kevin and I both are big on Twitter. If you happen to be on Twitter, it's just at our name. So at Clark Corbin, at Kevin Richard, and we're pretty responsive there. But uh, we're going to depend on communicating with parents and educators out in the field to be able to share news in a timely manner through August and September and into the year. Um, and so we hope that we can increase those lines of communications all throughout the state. Yeah. Yes. Please do reach out to us as this, uh, as this unfolds. Yeah. Um, like you said, uh, the homepage, uh, we had coverage of the Ada County uh, moving back to stage three. You had coverage kind of wrapped into one, the governor's announcement and your sort of weekly analysis, taking a larger look at the response moving forward, talking about how that will be more regional in nature, talking about how school plans will look different from one community to the next. You can find that uh, at the homepage. But I mean, I remember pinging you, Kevin, on Wednesday with an instant message talking about it's only Wednesday and this is one of the biggest, busiest weeks we've had of the year. So maybe yeah. it's time to transition into the, I don't know, you can, we can transition into the court TV segment of the podcast today because all of those court cases we were watching are at least two big ones. We had news this week. Let's start off on Monday and just tackle it chronologically. Two really important court rulings this week pertaining to education. And we'll start with the one on Monday. And this is a case we've been watching 
since April. This was uh, the state Supreme Court ruling on State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra's lawsuit against the legislature and the State Board of Education. Resounding victory for the legislature and the State Board. The court ruled unanimously that the legislature acted constitutionally when it voted to shift 18 IT and data management positions out of the Barra's State Department of Education and under the umbrella of the State Board. Um, and, and really, you know, it was a five nothing ruling uh, from, the, from the Supreme Court and uh, Justice Moeller uh, writing on behalf of the court at one point said, you know, this is an issue that it goes back to statehood. We've been talking about this for 130 years. Um, so, you know, a fairly cut and dried decision from the, uh, the Supreme Court on the constitutional matters. And that's really what this whole case really centered on. And, and there's a lot more to it. And I want to get to the, the more to it yeah. here. But the constitutional matter here was, was fairly straightforward. It was an issue of is the state superintendent or the state board Idaho's uh, policymaking body uh, when it comes to education. Ibarra argued that she had powers dating back to territorial days. Uh, the legislature and the state board cited language from the state constitution and debate from the constitutional convention that indicated that the, the framers of the state constitution wanted to place that decision-making authority, that, that policy-making authority in the hands of a state board. And that's ultimately where the state uh, Supreme Court came down. But you and I both know, and we've talked about it so many times uh, in, in the past few weeks, this case was not just about the Constitution. It really became a, a power struggle between yeah. ARA and the legislature and the state board. And it's going to be really interesting going forward because ARA really laid bare uh, her tensions with the legislature. Uh, suggesting that there are legislators who want to dismantle her department, defund her department, turn the state superintendent from an elected position to an appointed position, putting all of that out into this uh, into this public uh, document, into this public arena. It's going to be really interesting to see what the relationship is like between Ibarra and the legislature going forward. Yeah, Ibarra has already struggled to get some of her initiatives through the legislature. Yeah. I, this is not going to help. I can only imagine that in a in a challenging legislative session where, where dollars are going to be tight, uh, this is not going to help uh, Abara. This, this is going to leave her with some fences she's going to have to try to mend if she wants to uh, get any of her policy goals into law in 2021 and, and moving on. And, you know, the other thing to... You know, I'm thinking about a lot as I think about the relationship between the legislature and Ibarra. The state Supreme Court gave the legislature carte blanche. It gave the legislature a green light. If there are legislators who have other concerns about... They could do this again. Um, yeah, they, they could take another bite at the apple next year. Told, you are good to go. If you feel like there's something that you want done by the state board, if there's uh, another fund shift that uh, legislators are interested in implementing... Uh, don't let the Constitution get in your way, because the, uh, the state Supreme Court made pretty clear that uh, that is well within the legislature's authority. As Mulder said in his in his decision, it's not for the state Supreme Court to decide whether this is a good idea moving these 18 positions 
to the state board. That's not uh, the state the Supreme Court's department, but on the constitutional grounds, it's certainly something the legislature can do and, and could do again in, in other areas. So it's going to be really intriguing to watch the relationship between Ibarra and the legislature, specifically Ibarra and the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. That's, that's going to be, uh, it's always an interesting budget presentation every January. It might be a, a little bit more interesting this time around. Well, it, it's interesting, and I want to take a slight detour, and then in a minute and a half, we'll get back on track, I promise. But it's always an interesting time for education, but I've been watching these standards hearings that are gearing up. And right now, Superintendent Ybarra's State Department of Education and the legislature are working together. The process is just beginning to write, to rewrite academic standards. This has been a controversial issue over the past five years. And you really see this year <clears throat> the legislature taking a more powerful, active role in the standards revision process. And so that's something I'm going to watch. The legislature has already been lionized, already grown more powerful, uh, even just sitting around being adjourned this summer. And so that's something that I'm going to watch is the standards process and the interaction between legislators and the State Department of Education and the superintendent. And then, like you said, those JFAC hearings, those budget hearings next year when it's going to be Perhaps a tough year for everybody, a tough year for education, a lot of strain on budgets. Um, but I think that the political angle of this is going to be interesting when it comes to watching the fallout and watching what happens next. In the short term, with the lawsuit, we know that the transition uh, with the 18 positions and the $2.7 million, we know that transition will go ahead next week yeah. on July 1st. That's a key date. That's the first day of the new budget year in the state of Idaho. And so that's why we had a timeliness factor. And that's why the court ruled so quickly. It's always an interesting time for education. I am particularly interested to watch whether the legislature grows more powerful and, and how it interacts with the superintendent going forward because they have to work together so closely. Uh, those are some of the things that I'm going to watch. Yeah, no, it's, we know that there's a, you know, we know the dollars are going to be tight. I mean, you know, Brad Little has talked about a 5% cut in K-12 funding and, you know, that's $99 million. So we know that there's going to be, you know, not a lot of money to go around for anything beyond the, the, the bare basics of, uh, of public education. So it would be a tough year for, for anybody, Sherry uh, Barra, the State Board of Education, any legislator to come into town with some with some idea of, of some new initiative. I don't think the wish lists will be very long uh, be, come uh, January. Wish list and probably any wishes are going to be aligned to trying to respond to coronavirus and, and trying to uh, help schools uh, position for whatever may come uh, regarding coronavirus down the road. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a tight year. But, you know, you know, there are also policy initiatives that come along that may not have dollar figures attached. Sure. So, you know, Ibarra has struggled to get the legislature on the same page with her on some, on some, some policy aspects. I mean, you know. Like, yeah, I, I think there's a couple clear examples over the years. The rural schools uh, center that went nowhere, I think three years in a row in the legislature and then a, uh, a school safety proposal and some mid-year funding that the superintendent hoped to get uh, a couple of years ago, that went nowhere. 
as well. And so some of our more high profile legislative initiatives uh, have certainly stalled out in years past. Yeah. So I think, well, the constitutional question was pretty much uh, settled. The political questions are anything but settled. So that's, uh, that's where we'll pick up in January, but certainly it's something to watch uh, in the next few months as well. Yeah, we'll definitely watch it. At this point, Kevin, you're on a roll. No need to stop here. Uh, continue with the uh, court analysis because let's talk about the Reclaim Idaho lawsuit. Maybe a surprise ruling this week. Uh, what was it and what does it mean? Yeah, I think this was really a surprise development. And it's been a surprise development just over the past couple of weeks. So on Tuesday, uh, federal district judge B. Lynn Windmill sided with Reclaim Idaho and, and put new life into Reclaim Idaho's $170 million initiative to try to increase taxes and put the money into K-12 funding. What Windmill ruled, and he ruled from the bench, this isn't something you see very often, but he ruled from the bench in the interest of timeliness. He gave the state two options. He said that at this point, the state can either put the Reclaim Idaho initiative on the ballot free and clear, no questions asked, or the state can give Reclaim Idaho 48 days to complete the signature gathering process for their initiative and do that online. Because it was just in March, just the open rows of the pandemic that Reclaim Idaho suspended its initiative. Right. Suspended signature gathering with just about a I want to say about six weeks to go. Uh, they had an April 30th deadline to get signatures and get the initiative on the ballot. Uh, suspended signature gathering. Said, "Look, you know, you can't, you can't be gathering petitions outside a post office in the middle of a pandemic." Right. Um, and at that point, you know, it seemed like that was the last uh, we were going to hear of this uh, initiative for 2020. But Reclaim Idaho filed a lawsuit in early June. Uh, saying that the state had failed to provide alternatives uh, for, the, for the group to pursue their initiative. And they said that that was a violation of their First Amendment rights, and Windmill sided with Claim Idaho on that issue. So that's what happened on Tuesday. Now, as of Friday morning, we don't really know what the next steps are going to be. Um, Windmill's ruling was explicit. He said that the state has to decide by Friday what it wants to do. Well, Governor Little and Super, uh, Secretary of State Lawrence Denny have said that the state is going to appeal. They're going to take this to circuit court. Uh, as we speak here on Friday morning, I do not know if uh, Winman has issued his written opinion, which he must, and I don't know exactly where the state is on its appeal, but we know it's coming. So we will stay on top of that, and we'll, uh, as soon as we've got some paperwork, uh, I will write about it. But we haven't heard the last of this. It's going to go to the circuit court. My suspicion would be that if the circuit court, uh, you know, anything coming from the circuit court would happen fairly quickly because, you know, time is of the essence. We're only barely four months away from the election. But, you know, if you told me a month ago that we'd still be talking about the Reclaim Idaho initiative or that we'd be talking about it again, I would not have expected that. So this has been uh, a pretty dramatic turnaround. Yeah, it, it sure has. Um, and that one that one came up on us quickly. And so if that's a new one um, to you, you can go to the homepage, idahoednews.org, and get caught up. But it's all about that ballot initiative. 
And if Reclaim Idaho, if that name kind of sounds familiar to some of our listeners, there's a good reason. Those were the folks behind the original ballot initiative uh, for Medicaid expansion that was successful a couple of years ago, right, Kevin? Right. 2018, they got the uh, Medicaid expansion on the ballot and it passed uh, resoundingly. So this is a group that has had some some background in it. And that was, you know, that was an aspect of the court hearing on Tuesday. So I listened into that. Um, Reclaim Idaho's attorney said that the group felt like they were ahead of schedule. They were ahead of where they were in the Medicaid expansion process when they had to shut down signature gathering on the school funding initiative. They were they were ahead of where they were in 2018, and they felt like they had momentum. Yeah, the deputy attorney general who was arguing against uh, who was arguing the state's uh, side. Uh, questioned why it took Reclaim Idaho until the final six months of an 18-month window to actually begin gathering signatures and kind of sort of chided Reclaim Idaho for shutting down their process in March, uh, knowing that they had an April 30th deadline. Uh, Judge Wimmel didn't buy it. Yeah. Look, the the Constitution doesn't preclude against a group procrastinating, and this is a group that's had success uh, getting uh, ballot initiatives, uh, you know, in front of voters and and then getting an initiative passed. So, you know, fairly quick and and fairly resounding decision from the bench, from the judge. Uh, You know, he's pretty clear as he was talking through options, it was pretty clear that he was going to in some manner, side with Reclaim Idaho. So now we'll see what the state does. The, the ball is in, in in the state's court, and we'll stay on top of that. Yeah, we'll stay on top of that. One more um, quick one, Kevin. It's another court case, but it involves Idaho's, uh, the new Idaho law passed earlier this session, banning uh, trans women and girls from participating in women's sports. Uh, that story has uh, picked up again this summer. The Trump administration weighed in. I want to say it was late last week. What, right. what did we hear and what does it mean? Uh, the Trump administration uh, filed paperwork uh, supporting the state in, in its lawsuit. Well, the, the, supporting the state in defending the new uh, transgender ban. That's right. The state has been sued over the law, uh, groups seeking to have the, have the law overturned. The Trump administration siding with the state uh, in defense of that law. It's just another example of how high profile this uh, this legal battle is going to be. I mean, this is you know the first state in the in the nation to pass this kind of a transgender athletics ban. So not surprising that this is going to get attention on a national plane, not just from the Trump administration, but as uh, we reported a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a number of high-profile athletes uh, urging the NCAA to, to pull athletic competitions out of the state of Idaho over the, the transgender athletics ban. NCAA will take that up in August. Another development uh, last week. Last week. It was this week. It's just been yeah. a long week, guys. Um, the state of California uh, banning state-funded travel to a number of states, including Idaho, over transgender athletics policy. So, this issue is certainly heating up. We could have seen that coming. We will uh, watch every development. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The homepage is a good place. 
uh, to get caught up on that. We will continue to cover that story. Several other things we're not going to be able to devote a full segment to. I just wanted to say uh, how hard our Eastern Idaho reporter Devin Bodkin has been working and how professional he's been. As a lot of you know, there's been a really difficult situation playing out in Marsh Valley uh, involving the superintendent there and involving um, a district investigation into essentially sexual harassment um, accusations. Uh, that came to a head this week, and the superintendent was attacked um, on the district office grounds. Uh, Devin had the latest in that story. Um, the superintendent was hospitalized, and it appears has been released. Um, the man who attacked him has been arrested and charged. Obviously an extremely difficult situation, um, but I just wanted to say how proud I am of Devin and how thoughtful he has been. Um, I've, I've read some of these stories as they were coming together, and, and, and the approach that Devin took was to wait and take his time and to not rush these stories and to make sure he got it right and to be sensitive to some of the people involved in this case. And absolutely, it's a difficult, hard situation out there, and, 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 and Devin has handled it as best as he could, um, and I'm proud of him for that been a, a consummate pro covering a really difficult story you know just a really you know just you know just an ugly situation unfolding in a small town and those are tough to cover we, we've all had those uh, stories in our, in our past and you know there's nothing easy about covering stories like this you know these are you know these are not stories we cover because they're clickbait there's no. Important story to cover because uh, you know this is yeah, a, a local leader, the, the local yeah. superintendent. These are not fun stories to cover by any stretch, and he has uh, he has you know certainly done a first class job of, of staying on top of it, but also being sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a, a quick pro programming note: uh, we are going to take next week off uh, with it being July fourth. So I hope everybody. Um, gets a chance to relax and maybe spend some time with friends and family over July 4th and, and take a break and unwind. I know that there's a lot going on. We will be back in two weeks, but then you and I are going to try and really quickly this summer take some more vacation time before it gets busy again. And so we may have a situation in July and part of August where we bring in another guest host or maybe we publish the podcast on a different day or have to take a week off. We'll keep you posted. We will be back in two weeks, um, and, and then we're going to try and take a quick breather and then be back because we know it's going to be super busy August, September, and then beyond. We've got the election. Oh, by the way, the 2021 legislative session isn't that far off. Um, so we'll, we'll do the best that we, we can, um, but it may be a little bit of a, a moving target over the next, you know, through July and August, certainly. Yeah, the best thing to do is just uh, you know keep listening, keep uh, you know follow us on social media because we'll let you know when we post a post a new podcast, and you can always see the podcasts on our uh, on our website. You can always uh, subscribe to the podcast as well. So, a lot of different ways to uh, stay on top of what we're doing, and you know, we will be in touch. And and I do want to emphasize that even if the podcast takes a week off. Uh, here or there, the homepage we will have we will be working. Uh, it just might not be Kevin and I working on the same day. 
So we will continue to update the homepage, idahoednews.org, with all the latest information about back to school in the fall, about these reopening committees, about the legal cases that we're tracking. And so even if the podcast takes a week off, the homepage will not. We will continue to cover breaking news and school news. The situation with the podcast is Kevin and I just may not work the same days uh, again for a little while, and so it may be difficult to get us both together and host. Just trying to give people a little bit of a of a heads up, but that does not mean that Idaho education news coverage will stop. It just may mean it may be a little trickier to get you and I in front of a microphone on the same day to do a podcast for a little bit. You know, it feels like summer has been canceled, and it, and it probably hasn't been, but for sure, our, our slow news summer has been canceled. There's going to be a lot going on, and we will, uh, yeah. we, will get you the, as, we will get you the news as quickly as we can, as completely as we can uh, on the website. So, uh, so check in there and follow us on social media and follow us for podcasts as we go. And we'll yep. try to We will be the- back in, in two weeks. But as always, thanks so much for spending time with us uh, this week and every week on Extra Credit. We have a lot of fun breaking down this intersection of education policy and education politics. And boy, is it as complicated as ever doing that. Um, but we, we appreciate you and we appreciate you seeking us out and spending time with us and checking the homepage uh, for our stories. Reach out if you're a parent, if you're an educator, if you want to talk about what's going on in your district, or share information, reach out. We want to talk with you. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a safe and relaxing and enjoyable Independence Day. And we'll be back in two weeks. I'm Clark. Um, I'm Kevin. Staying safe this 4th of July has never meant more. Uh, Have a good 4th, stay safe, and take care.